Hello everyone and welcome to the Brunton Bugle, a podcast focusing on the trials and tribulations of Cali United Football Club. From Greg Abbott to Paul Arneson and Mark Prudhoe to Jordan Pickford, we've got it covered. This is episode 25 and today we're going to be looking back at United's midweek win over Salford City and the return of fans to Brunton Park, previewing the weekend trip to Yorkshire to face Bradford City, taking a look at the latest news to Brunton Park and looking at what ex-United players have been getting up to. I'm joined on this episode Sorry, this episode by one of my regular co-hosts, and today it's Mike Booth. Mike, how's it going? Yeah, it's going good. Certainly, you know, the uh, midweek result couldn't be better, really, could it? Oh, no, no, it's brilliant. And the performance to go with it as well, especially with the fans being back, was fantastic. We'll obviously cover that in a minute, but Mm. it just just was a really fantastic feeling to be back at Brunton Park watching football again. And I, I sent an email, I got the train back down to Liverpool after the game. And I had my laptop with me. I was doing a few bits anyway. And I thought, I'll, I'll send an email. I sent an email to the Football Ramble podcast about how good it was to be back. And they read it out. And it was really nice. And a few people tweeted about it saying, you know, that's how they felt about going back to the game. It's, you know, it's not just about the 90 minutes, about seeing people, you know, and your usual routine and that kind of thing. So it really, really was fantastic. Um, yeah. Really quick one here. I'm, I'm guessing you know what the link is between the players there. Yeah, obviously all have been with Carlisle in one shape or form on Bradford. Yeah. Indeed, they have. So, obviously, Greg Abbott was United manager for quite a while um, and was a very, very popular player with the Bantams. Um, Paul Arneson had a short spell, but I think he was quite popular there as well. I think it was to, just after he left us, wasn't it? And mm. I think he was quite well-liked because um, I think they were back down in League 2 back then. Obviously, yeah, in League 2 now, but we were above them in League 1. Yeah. Um, Mark Prudhoe is a goalkeeper who, you know, basically, as journeyman as he gets, as goalkeepers go, he played for yeah. dozens and dozens of clubs. Um, and Jordan Pickford, I think we obviously all know uh, about him, you know, whatever happened to him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. Exactly <laughs> that, yeah. All right then, Mike, let's get straight into the news then. Um, first one up, um, someone's been a naughty boy, haven't they? Uh, yeah. da- David Holsworth, the milk tray man, uh, he's uh, <laughs> been charged by the FA. Um, and it's not for leaving boxes of milk tray in the referee's room, no, it certainly hasn't been. Um, so obviously we discussed, me and Dan, I think it was, uh, David Holdsworth going onto the pitch after the Doncaster defeat, and it it looked at the time like he'd spoke to Chris Beach, didn't it? And Beach wasn't very happy. It was hard mm. to tell really from the BBC coverage, but um, turns out it wasn't Beach he was talking to. It was referee Scott Oldham, and uh, he was having a chat with, and it's landing with a bit of bother with the FA. He's been charged with a breach of FA rule E3. It is alleged that he used abusive and/or insulting words towards the match official at the completion of the fixture, and he is until Monday, the seventh of December, to provide a response. I'll be honest, I was trying to rack my brains here. I can't think of any dodgy decisions in this game, can you? No, not really. Um, I mean, I don't think I've ever been to a game and not been in breach of rule E3, to be honest with you. Um, But, yeah, I mean, there's games where there's been more alarming decisions, surely, but I don't know. I I genuinely was just racking my brains thinking, was there Mm. any really terrible decisions given against us? 
And off the top of head, no, I thought it, it was kind of referee where you didn't really notice him, which suggests that he's a good referee and just letting yeah. the game flow. And I don't think either team was putting any bad tackles in. I think there was, maybe, was there two bookings in the game, if that, maybe? It's very, no. very bizarre that he was having mm. a bit of a go at the referee. Maybe there was a reason why. Maybe he was told you shouldn't be on the pitch and basically told him where to go. Maybe that was what it was. I don't know. I don't know the details. Mm. I'm not going to speculate. Well, I just did, but you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'll be interested to see what happens with that. Um, I suspect if he um, doesn't provide his ones and accepts the charge, he'll probably be banned from going to a couple of games. At least I would have thought maybe. Mm. Um, can I watch it on iPhone like the rest of us? <laughs> uh, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next bit of news is this is the most important one though isn't it uh, Mike um, the EFL bailout has finally been agreed so a com- combined fund of £50 million has been set up with £30 million to be shared among all League 1 and League 2 clubs as a grant a further £20 million is available as a monitored grant for which clubs can apply United will receive a minim- minimum payment of 250000 they will also receive a further amount from the £30 million Grant package based on calculations of lost revenue from last season and this season. Really good news, this isn't it? This is the kind of positive news we've been hoping for, and it, it's a big improvement by the sounds of things from what we were been offered last time, which was you know partly loans and things like that. And clubs are like, look, you know, that's just going to kick the can down the road and cause us problems at a later point. Mm. It sounds like this is essentially you're getting this. Everyone, every club's going to get this fixed amount. The rest of it is going to be means tested, doesn't it? So it looks. Yeah good news yeah and it looks like there's no strings attached either from the outside but it's it's quite cryptically worded as well i mean it like it was saying uh it was decided by premier league shareholders now what is a premier league shareholder can you buy shares I, in the premier league or i is think it- i think it's based it's similar to the way when a club joins the efl they get given a golden share mm. so barrow obviously got the golden share uh this summer from I think it would have been Macclesfield, I guess, maybe. Possibly Berry's golden share. Anyway, they get the golden mm. share. And they the, the 72 shareholders, essentially. I think it's probably the same in the Premier League. I think it's it's a it's a corporate-speak way of saying the Premier League clubs, essentially. That, that's yeah. the way they put Cause, it. Because some of these other sort of deals that were mentioned, it said, like, the Premier League members. And then this time's the first time I've seen the word shareholders, which is just... That was a bit weird, but maybe that's just me just... You know. it, to be honest, it's not written particularly. It, it's written in a very legal sort of way, isn't it? When you mm. read it, it's not mm. written to make it easy for fans to understand. Essentially, which is which is not really great. Um, you'd think ideally, you know, with all the, the worries that clubs have had and things like that, that it, it would be good to actually make it easy for fans to understand what mm. this means to them, really. And mm. um, I mean. We're probably not going to go into too much detail on this, but Nigel Clibbins had some interesting comments on it, didn't he, I think? And he was talking about the fact, you know, we have to look at it carefully and see what mm. it does actually mean. Uh, from the outside, he seems to be suggesting it, 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 it's pretty good. And he's mentioned the fact that, obviously, the allocation of cash has to be fair. You know, it can't be giving a huge chunk to these clubs who maybe don't have massive wage bills and things like that. So, mm. you know, Well, I mean, I'd, I'd imagine some of the clubs that are now still in Tier 3 and can't have fans in will maybe get more money. Um, possibly you know yeah, from from the, the more means tested segments of it but yeah. yeah who knows yeah it's interesting it's interesting when you read out I was reading Nigel Clippers comments some really it's good stuff I suppose in one sense is the fact that he's mentioned the fact that some people still, uh, staff at the club still have been furloughed during the second lockdown but also the senior staff, including himself and Suzanne Kidd, the finance director, have taken pay cuts as well, 
during all this. So, you know, it is a case of we're all in this together. We're not mm. ripping anyone off. And we'll, we'll get into an, a club in the division above us in the X-Files bit about uh, the way they've treated one of their members of staff, which is on the outside looking at in. It looks pretty disgraceful, doesn't it? The uh, mm. That one. We'll get onto that one later. But yeah, it, it, it's good news seemingly, but the club are going to you know take a good long look at it and work out exactly what it means to them. But um, yeah, great stuff. There was a bit more about I follow as well, but I think we'll cover that next week in next week's episode because we want to try and get uh, other bits in today. Mm. Um, so let's get straight into the match review bit then, Mike. Um, Salford City, sorry, Cal United 2, Salford City 1. Fans back at Brunton Park for this midweek clash and United put in a real show with a dominant performance and deserved three points against big spending, but very underwhelming Salford City side, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we unanimously agreed at the start of the season, didn't we, that they were favourites for the title. And things haven't gone their way this season for one thing or another, but we can only beat what's in front of us, can't we? And it was an, it was another great performance. To be to be honest, we could have had more than the two goals. Um, I think, was it Hayden um, with that yeah, chance that I think, they somehow cleared off the line? Yeah, I think in, during the game they reported it as Bennett and it was well, Melly sort of flicked it on, didn't he? Sc- mm. Scuffed his shot and it both... Hayden and Bennett were waiting at the far post to put it in and he, he sort of flicked it with his back heel, didn't he? It was a clever little flick, but it was a brilliant mm. clearance off the line, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. But no, you, you're right. It, it, it's one of those games that we, we really should have won a bit more comfortably. Um, and that's the only real criticism you could probably pick up from this game, I think, really. The fact that we didn't get those extra goals. And, yeah. And, and maybe, if I'm going to be incredibly picky, that Beach maybe could have made a couple of subs a bit sooner, maybe, to keep the lads' mm. legs fresh. It's but a then we, running theme. Yeah, it's one of those ones, isn't it? But, you know, the thing is, he also gets all the data, doesn't he, from the um, the GPS trackers and things like that that mm. they wear and heart rate monitors that tells him, you know, what their fitness levels are like and if they're dropping off. So he's clearly happy with it. So maybe he's right to keep the one for a bit longer. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, so it pushes us back into the playoffs because we dropped out because of Tuesday night's game. So Tramir jumped above us, didn't they, with their mm. win and their brilliant form they're still on. Um, so it puts us in fifth place on 26 points with a plus five goal difference and we're just one point behind third place Exeter and four points off Newport in the top spot it is so tight at the top of that table right now isn't it when you look at it and I'm just I'm just looking at the table now from eighth place Tranmere to third place Exeter four points separates them. yeah it's incredible isn't it and, and, and we're about just coming up to pretty much the one third into the season point. The thing is, yeah. at this point, you'd be coming very close to the halfway point normally. But yeah, obviously, we've yeah. got more games to cram in later on in the season as well. So, so yeah, it, it's let's get on to some of the talking points then. And this is one we've we've sort of vaguely covered a bit recently. But it's who needs the ball? I mean, <laughs> once again, we were second best in possession, but it didn't really make any difference, did it? And mm. At the game itself, I I would never have got the impression, maybe other than the last 10, 15 minutes that we had less of the ball than Salford. We, it we certainly had a lot more chances than them. Like, so. <clears throat> oh, yeah, definitely. That, that, and that's the key thing, isn't it? You know, the, the stats that matter, we had 23 shots, mm. seven on target. They only had 10 and two mm. on target. Obviously, one of them is mm. the goal. So mm. um, so it just shows you the, the, the big difference there. Once again, we're getting so we're getting a shot off every four minutes, basically, in mm. games, which is a really impressive statistic. Yeah, itself. definitely. It's interesting. I think it was um, Ken Hollock from the London branch posted up a, a tweet from a website um, with an image from a website showing a table that shows the average position stats in mm. the division and we are third bottom in that 
I think Cambridge. <laughs> I think Cambridge are pretty much down there as well. Mm. So it shows us in Cambridge have both got a game where we don't need to have the ball all the time. It's not about mm. possession. It's about when you get the ball, using it well and, and being direct and getting forward. And we do that so so well at the moment, don't we? Yeah, well, I think I read somewhere last season that Wickham had the worst possession in the entire football league, and they got promoted. So yeah, yeah. you know, <clears throat> you just got to be a well organised, well drilled side, don't you? That's that's the mm. key key fact in it. I mean. Salford were clearly a side who want to play with the ball a little bit, don't they? And, you know, they're mm. decent players and you look through the squad. But, I mean, they didn't get a chance in minute one, did they? I mean, Callum Guy gets booked in the second minute. And, and to be honest, that was a ridiculous decision. He didn't actually catch the lad. The lad went down mm. like he was shot. He was pathetic the whole game. That Arenade, mm. I think it is. Mm. Um, but that just shows from minute one, we were in their faces. And we'll get onto their manager in a minute. But I mean, even <laughs> even he admitted that they just didn't have time on the ball and we didn't give him that. That's the one mm. little bit of credit he actually gave us during the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's that point covered. I mean, that's the next one, Divine Intervention. <laughs> nice little title for you there. Um, I think it's fair to say, before the game, when we all saw the team out and there was a change in midfield, I don't think many of us would have expected Danny Devine to be making his full league debut, did we? I think no. we all felt Dean Furman would come in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, Devine didn't disgrace himself at all, did he? And I think, uh, obviously we'll get onto it in a bit, but with Guy suspended for the Bradford game, I think Devine will probably get another go. And, you know, he did, he did nothing to say that he doesn't deserve that. Absolutely. I, I have to admit, he slotted in seamlessly. He didn't He didn't look like a player who was just coming in for his first full start in the league. Mm-hmm. He looked like a player who'd been playing there for weeks, really. Mm-hmm. And he, I was quite impressed. He, he drives ball drives forward with the ball quite well and mm. he, he seems to know when to release the ball as well. That's what that's one key thing. Sometimes you find players like that, they just keep going and they don't think about are you gonna pick out a man out wide or are you gonna play it down the middle? They just keep going and end up getting tackled. Mm. Um, Melish could be bad for that sometimes, but he's mm. he's still very much learning playing in midfield. Um yeah, he, he just looked like he'd been playing there for ages and I've got a feeling he might get a run in the team now because he just look I do like Joe Riley, I do. I think he's got good qualities. What I'd say is he probably looks like a player who'd probably be a bit more comfortable playing in League One than mm. in League Two. And it sounds ridiculous, but yeah. I, I think it's not quite as physical in the same sense. And yeah. teams do try and play a bit more. And I think he would suit that a lot more than he would in League Two. Not to say he's played badly recently. I think he's been no. solid enough. But Divine looks a little bit better suited, doesn't he? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, realistically, there's only one central midfield spot available, isn't there? Because Mellish, if he's fit, one of the first names on the team sheet, and Guy is exactly the same. So there's only that one spot, really, for Divine, <coughs> Furman and um, Riley to compete for, really. And, and, I, and to be honest, none of them have looked poor. You know, they're no. all sort of knocking on the door for that, for that space in the team. So, yeah. I think with Furman as well, I think for him, you're looking at him more replacing Guy, aren't you? I'm not sure you'd have Furman and Guy in there. I mean, you could do. You could mm. push Guy a bit further forward, possibly. But I think the way that Beach looks at it, I think he sees those two fighting for one place, really, doesn't he? And mm. Dean's obviously going to get his chance, potentially, at the weekend, by the looks of things. Um, mm. he's, and even when he came on, he made a difference as well. He, he kept the ball well, and he used it well, and he, he put his foot in. He's, I mean... To have a player like that on the bench is a bit of a luxury at this level, actually, yeah. isn't it? When you look back at it, I mean, you post, you sent me something today, didn't you? Saying um, we should maybe look to cash in in January because you've been playing on Football Manager, haven't you? Yeah, and he's yeah. worth like four point two million on Football Manager, apparently. So you know, let him, I'll let everyone in on a secret here. I am the one who does the stats for Football Manager for the Carlisle team, right? 
I hope, I hope none of our players are listening to this because I'll be getting <laughs> pelters probably. But I am limited to how much I, good I can make players. Let's just make that very clear. Mm. Thurman was transferred in because he came in a bit late and I didn't have a chance to edit him or change anything mm. on him. So he's coming as he was playing in South Africa, basically, on the game. So that's why he's probably a bit too good. But there mm. you go. Um, but for, but for, for me, that midfield three, I mean, a good three-man midfield, you need the one man sitting you know, who tends to be Guy. You need one man sort of getting forward and doing stuff in the final third, which tends to be Mellish. And you kind of need that third one to sort of... Like a shuttler, isn't he? Just Just... kind of keep things together, you know, sort of be there for that transition. And I feel Furman could do that if, you know, if called upon. And, and, And indeed, Guy could do that if you put Divine as the one sitting... As well, and Riley has done a, quite a good job of that as well. So, yeah. I was impressed with how mobile Divine was. He, he, he covered. A, it's interesting. I think after the game, Beach said he's like, "Oh, you're the right-footed John Mellish." I think that's trying to encourage him to get into the box when he and he got a mm. couple of shots off. To be fair, in him as well, he, mm. he, he's one of those players when we sign us. I think probably of all the signings, he's the one that I think most people probably the least enthusiastic about. I'm not saying anyone thought, "Oh, he's, he's rubbish." Everyone's just like. He's just a squad player, isn't he? But I think he's shown that he can come in and, you know, if, if he plays well on Saturday against his former club and we've got a, a big run of games coming up mm. now, he'll, mm. he could stay in the team for a while. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that about, like, enthusiasm for signings because we have we didn't really make many what you would call sort of marquee signings. There was a few that were sort of, you know, no disrespect, you know, the likes of sort of Riley, Tanner, you know, kind of unproven in men's football. Mm. You know, they've they, they played a little bit, yeah. Uh, even sort of, you know, going back to last season, the likes of uh, Callum Guy. He, you know, he, he hadn't played a, a ton of men's football, and you're just thinking, who, who are these players? But I tell you what, we've built one hell of a team, and um, you know, D- D- Divine is sort of a, a proven sort of football league player, wasn't he? Really, who, who sort of mm. you, you kind of knew what you were getting a little bit more than maybe some of the other players, but yeah, yeah, they, they, they all seem to have paid off. Yeah. Well, let's move on then to another signing, one that came in much more recently than Divine, um, Rolls-Royce Bennett. So you might remember last season, Mike, and we, we had uh, many, many chuckles about this, that uh, David Holdsworth described Christy Elliott as a Rolls-Royce player. Um, you know, maybe one that's in the knackers yard by the looks of things. <laughs> he's playing. Although he's doing quite well in Scotland now, by all accounts, and so maybe he's just yeah, better, better seated I, up there. I maybe could do all right in Scotland, I think. Let's... <laughs> Let, let's not get hasty on that one. Um, but, you know, if he'd actually waited a year, he could have got a, that description right to describe Reese Bennett because mm. he's just been brilliant since he's come in, hasn't he? I mean, I think it's one of those ones. Divine got the man of the match against Salford, and I understand why. Like coming in for his debut, as a pretty good, solid game, you want to give him a nice confidence boost. I, I totally understand why you'd do that. I think there's an argument that Tanner was probably the best player on the pitch. But I think running him pretty close, Bennett was just everything that came to him. He was just so calm, so collected. The amount of times the ball came over the top and it came down, and you'd normally expect a big booming header away. And he either just played a nice little cushioned header down to Guy or chested it down a couple of times to Guy mm. or even brought it down and brought himself out of the defence. He's just so good. And he, he's just far too good for this level, isn't he? Oh, definitely. He reads the game really well as well. And I think Rod McDonald's a little bit unlucky, really, because he, he was sort of playing pretty well. But when someone like, um, you know, like Bennett comes available, you can't not want to sign him up. And he, he's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, we're, we are quite well blessed in defence right now, aren't we, for, mm. for players? I mean, the only position you'd maybe argue is that there's a 
a slight question mark over. We've discussed this before. He's left back. Maybe Nick Anderton's looking the slightly weaker. I don't think he's played particularly poorly either, to be honest. Mm. I don't think Jack Armour... I think the, the difference there is I don't think Jack Armour's ready to push mm. Anderton for his position there. Whereas I think on the right, Tanner knows that Joe Riley can drop in there and play right back. And mm. there's a slight bit of pressure possibly there. Even arguably, that's only a second position for Riley, isn't it? So mm. it, it's one of those ones... We are doing pretty well in defence, I think, in terms of centre-backs. I mean, Max Hunt, I feel bad for him. He came in as he sort of, you know, like I said, maybe not marquee signing, but someone a lot a lot was thought of when he arrived in January, and he's not really had that many chances so far, no. just because the way it's it's landed. Um, yeah. We've got to get Bennett tied up, though, if we can, don't we? On a oh, de- definitely. I mean, if we can get him till the end of the season, that that's crucial for, for our promotion chances. I think. I think we'll have done well if we managed to get him tied down there. I mean, yeah. I, I've, I've heard whispers that he's, he's if it's a League 2 or potentially even League 1 club he's happy to stay but I think he's got his eye on maybe a, a bigger wage at the top end of League 1 and potentially the Championship if he can and you wouldn't blame him for that you know every player's mm. got to take the best possible he's what 29 now he's got to take the best mm. possible deal he can but at the same time I'd imagine he's enjoying his football right now so yeah, you, exactly. you never know it's one of those ones isn't it it's one of those ones mm. um, diabolical referee and we've got to talk about this it's, it's strange because we as a talking point for games, we haven't, we sort of briefly touched in some games on bad refereeing, haven't we? But we haven't really talked about a, an absolutely awful refereeing performance yet this season. Well, step up our old friend, Mr. Graham Salisbury. <laughs> I, he's been around for donkey's years now and he just hasn't got any better. He, the way he struts about the pitch, he oh, just makes you want to, <laughs> I better be careful what I say here now. But um, yeah, alongside his assistants, I mean, he was handing out cards like it was um, Christmas. <laughs> Funny mm-hmm. that, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he, that that first booking for Guy was ridiculous. That set the tone. That was the biggest problem. He could have easily said to Guy there because he didn't. If you what, if if anyone watches it back, Guy doesn't actually catch the lad. He sort of just stops off, and he may have just knocked into him, but he's not gone in and kicked him or anything like that. He could have easily said to Guy, "Look, look don't do another one of them, or I will book you." Mm. That would have been fine. That would have set a, a slightly lower tone for mm. you know the way he was going to hand out cards for the game. But if he was just straight in there. And he, you knew he was so happy to give it as well. It was just ridiculous. Mm. Um, just some of his decisions were really peculiar, weren't they? I mean, some of them, two of them, two of the bigger ones were in our favour, you'd argue. Mm. Well, one of them obviously wasn't his decision in a sense. So the, the biggest one probably is the equaliser they scored that was ruled out for offside. When you watch back and you look at the free throw and the ball was played, it is incredibly tight. Mm-hmm. I can't 100% say he's onside. It looks like he is, but the the camera angle can be a bit misleading sometimes. You really need a side on from the like the edge of the six-yard box or the 18-yard box to actually see. I feel like if it, it was us scoring the goal, we'd maybe feel a bit hard, don't I, we? If it was us, I, I'd be furious about it. I really would because it, it does look a poor decision. The other bad decision, this, this one was the referees potentially, was Mellish getting a book in. That was a pretty reckless tackle, that one. Mm. He, he almost catches him knee high and he sort of dives in. It's nearly too far. I need to see it again because I haven't managed to see it again yet. But in re- in real time, on the paddock side where it happened, me and, and Greg Bullman, who I was standing next to it again, sort of both looked at each other like, could be in trouble here. He's taken mm. a long time over this. Mm. And I think once he took really long time before, he probably is given a book in here. But again, it's one of those ones, if it was against us, I'd probably be a bit unhappy. He hadn't mm. been sent off. He he just wasn't a good referee performance, was it? No, but you know, I, I don't 
always mind if they're incompetent, but their incompetence kind of affects both teams. <laughs> I've uh, I've been a firm believer for many years that there's like a deep conspiracy at FA headquarters where they don't like the long journey up to Carlisle and they just try and give our decisions against us so that we get relegated eventually. But <laughs> you know, yeah, you uh, I mean, he only lives in Preston, Salisbury, I think, doesn't he? And I think I think Beach was having a chat with him at half time. So when he came off, they seem to know each other fairly well because Beach is obviously from down that way. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'd say the two worst decisions were in our favour, so we can't really grumble too much. But then there was a couple more, like I said, the guy booking was ridiculous. Coyote getting booked as well, I think that that was a, a ridiculous one. He barely touched the lad. Mm. And there was one where the, the defender, Clark, went into the back of Coyote and the ball went out and Coyote hadn't touched it. And it was one of two things. It was either a free kick to us or it was a throw in to us. And he gave a throw into them. Yeah. And just like, where on earth have you got that from? Yeah. Just, yeah. just madness. So, so mm. yeah, the first time this season we've had a chance to have a proper good rant about a dreadful referee, but, <laughs> yeah. but there you go. We've got the three points, so we shouldn't really grumble too that much. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, briefly, a couple more bits. I haven't put these in the talking points, mate, but we'll, we'll cover them anyway. Um, their manager, isn't it enjoyable to see Richie Willens looking miserable after a game? Yeah, did did he have his abysmal shoes on? He's a uh, he's dreadful trainers with that sort of cream sort of bit on the bottom of them. Yeah, he did have those on. It's <laughs> absolutely shocking. Um, but yeah, him and him and I think it's Warren Joyce is the assistant, and Chris Casper is the sporting director there. Constantly in the fourth officials ear, just wouldn't shut up for the whole game. Mm. But uh, didn't do them much good in the end as it as it was. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, after the game, he was. Um, it's interesting to read his comments after the game. But I always think Beach is sometimes a little bit too kind on our players and sometimes could say, you know, it's not a good performance and they need to do better and stuff. But I'm glad he doesn't go as far as Wellens went because he basically just tore into his team, didn't he? He was, yeah. he was basically, I mean, slagging off a young lad like Luke Armstrong as well. He's what, 22, 23, something like that? Mm. Basically saying he came on and he was rubbish for the first half, didn't do mm. anything, didn't, didn't do enough. And <laughs> he's just like, oh, come on. Mm. You know? Yeah, they didn't play well, but he, he, he didn't once think so, you know, Big difference was they were more aggressive. They were in their face, and you know they made it difficult for us. He didn't really say that, did he? And no, he's I mean, always he, come he, across he, as arrogant, though, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he kept saying, "I'm not making excuses," and then made an absolute <laughs> like ton of excuses. But exactly you know, I wouldn't that, expect yeah. anything less. And he mentioned, obviously, I didn't cover this in the referee bit. The Ian Henderson injury that he went off injured, and I think it took mm. about ten minutes before they finally made the sub. Mm. Um, Interesting watching that one back. I haven't had a chance to watch it back yet, but in real time, potentially, what happens is a long ball comes over the top. Hayden goes up to win the header and what Henderson tries to do, he, he basically puts his head where Hayden's arm is, I think, mm. to try and get him in trouble, get him booked or mm. sent off or something. And ends up injuring himself and giving away a free kick. <laughs> free kick was given in our favour and he had to go off of his damaged nose and couldn't come back, or damage on his head and couldn't come back on because they couldn't get the stitch in. Mm. So, you know, t- tough shit there, mate. Um, <laughs> and the final bit, we just got to touch on it, is fans back at game. Mm. How good was that? Just yeah. actually hear a crowd when a goal goes in. I have to say it was weird when you, you you watch the highlights and Salford score and just isn't a peep. But like when we score, there's like you know a big loud cheer. Yeah, it didn't feel like there was just two thousand there. I mean, I, I went up to the game because obviously I'm lucky enough that I live in a tier two area, so I can actually travel up still to games. Um, and when you walk down, it, it it was a lot quieter. But I think people are obviously arriving to games differently and spreading out the time they arrive and stuff like that getting into the ground plenty of space in the paddock everyone's spaced out it was really good well organised it, it just it, it almost felt like just 
going to a game normally. It didn't feel mm. 100% different, but it just felt so good to be in there and mm. having a chat with people I haven't seen in months. And mm. I mean, I got to see my brother for the first time in, what, three or four months, I think, maybe. Mm. I haven't seen him in person for ages. So that was really nice as well. It, it just... It was just so enjoyable just to go to a game and be able to enjoy it. I have to say as well, I think when Bennett scored his goal, I think he wanted to just like run into the crowd yeah. and sort of do all and that. And then he himself. sort of realised and thought, oh no, yeah, actually, yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. We should actually mention before we finish the review bit is as well, what a goal from Luis, Luis Alessandro as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, how can well, we not mention that? Yeah. Weaker foot, but, he, but he's so good on both it. And we, we mentioned it last week, but I'll just touch it on it again. We look so much better team when he plays. Yeah. The ball stuck to him up against two big centre backs. He, he basically gave that young lad that unloaded from Man United uh, to Sean Bernard mm. uh, an absolute footballing lesson to me. Showed mm. him this is how, what a good striker at this level will do to you. He'll, he'll hold the ball off, he'll play the ball. He knew when to play it. He, he linked play so well. We look better if he's playing. I don't really mind Coyote going out wide because mm. I think it looks better when Lewis Alexander's there because Patrick and Coyote can then play it off him. We I mean, look it, so much better. It blows my mind, to be honest. I, I know he's played quite a lot at League One level, but it blows my mind that he hasn't really played much at a higher level. Because sometimes we get, exactly that, yeah. we, we get players in, and you can just tell that they're from a higher level. Do you know what I mean? Like like Bennett, for example. Yeah. And, and yeah, Alessandra, his intelligence on the ball is just second I, to none, it really is. I can only wonder if it's just his lack of goals is the only reason he's never really been mm. given a chance at a higher level. Because like you say, he looks like a player who could, comfortably playing the championship with his ability on the ball mm. to hold it up and bring others into play and you know, full credit to him you know I think start of the season we, we had a sort of feeling oh he might only be a squad player really this season but at the moment you'd pick him every game he's yeah, playing that definitely. well and he, he, yeah. and, he, and he makes a difference to the team so I imagine he's going to be starting against Bradford at the weekend so yeah, yeah definitely but as well as lack of goals you wouldn't sort of attribute it to a, like a lack of finishing ability on, on his part but he's more sort of at the start of the move, so he, he's not in the box yeah. when the chance happens. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't get a ton of chances for him to to fluff. Really, is you know, it's that's not why he's got a lack of goals. He's just always creating things rather than getting on the end of things. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I think that's pretty much covered it, Mike. Is there anything else you want to talk about from the Brad, from the uh, Salford sorry game? No, I think we've uh, we've covered it. Haven't we? Just a really enjoyable three points, and like if they're supposed to be one of the promotion contenders, then. We should be right up there at the end of the season because we Definitely. were com- comfortably the better side in this game. Comfortably. Yeah. Okay, that's the end of uh, part one then, Mike. So uh, we'll be back very shortly to discuss uh, for part two where we're going to be looking ahead to the weekend trip to West Yorkshire to play Bradford City. <laughs> Okay, welcome back everyone, we're into part two now and we're going to be looking ahead to our trip across the Pennines and into Yorkshire to face the surprise early strugglers in League Two, Bradford City. Um, I think in the pre-season preview, Mike, I think me, you and Dan all agreed that they probably weren't, didn't do enough transfer work in the summer to say they were going to be in contention for the playoffs. See, that, but I don't... That, that, that's where you're wrong, because I stuck my neck on the line and said that I, th- I thought they might do well this season. did. I think it was me and Dan that both said we felt they just didn't do enough work to yeah. justify them being in the in the top seven. But I don't think even me and Dan would have predicted 
that they would have been third bottom mm. after a third of the season. It's, it's quite incredible how badly they've done, really. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's some big names in the squad, even without a lot of recruitment. You know, yeah. the likes of like Lee Novak and, uh, you know, well, part of their summer recruitment, Elliot Watt, I thought would be a brilliant signing yeah. for them, obviously, who we had last season. Yeah. But what what do we know? Yeah, exactly that. Well, we'll get onto their squad in a bit. We'll we'll go through the usual uh, routine on this one. So, um, some history and facts. Um, it's interesting. This I, I didn't realise this bit. So, Bradford City were formed in 1903 to introduce the sport of football to the West Riding of Yorkshire, because predominantly, I think most people know this. That that area is very much a rugby league mm-hmm. area, isn't it? You know, you got your Leeds Rhinos and your Bradford Bulls and that sort of thing. Obviously, Bradford Bulls on a bit of hard times uh, these days. Um, before they'd even played a game, they were elected into the football league. To replace Doncaster Rovers in Division Two, incredible, that, isn't it? Mm. Most clubs start off, you know, playing in your local leagues or in like Northern North East League or the North West League or something like that. But bang, straight into the football league. Obviously, there was a Bradford club before then, wasn't there? Because I think Bradford Park Avenue were a little bit older than them. Yeah, I think, they, yeah, they were in the football league in the early years. But quite amazing that, that they went straight in and they actually moved straight into their Valley Parade, Valley Parade ground, and they've been there ever since. They've not had another ground, which is, again, quite, you know, we've done these ones in recent weeks where they've played at three or four different grounds and had, you know, Mm. years in the Cheshire League and Mm. stuff like that before getting up. Bang, they were straight into it and they won their first promotion just five years after joining the league, uh, winning Division 2 as champions. Um, And then incredibly, just three years after that, they won the FA Cup in 1911. (laughs) That's Mm. just like a ridiculous turnaround in terms of, success um, they spent 15 years in the top flight and then they were relegated back to Division 2 and then down to Division 3 not long after that uh, after bouncing back a few years later they went back to the third tier just prior to World War 2 and they remained in either the third or fourth tier um, for quite a while after that until 1985 when they won promotion um, but tragedy struck at their promotion celebrations that uh, that uh, season Um because I think everyone knows the story about this if you're a football fan. Um, a fire tore through the main stand at Valley Parade during the final game against Lincoln City. 56 fans lost their lives, including two fans from uh, uh, Lincoln City. Because uh, I don't know if you know this, Mike, that um, there's a stand at um, Lincoln's ground called the Stacey West Stand. And that's not someone called Stacey West. It's actually the two surnames. I can't remember ah. what the first names are. The first name... Stacy and second and first name West. So the stand there is actually named after those two Lincoln fans who lost their lives in in the fire. Yeah, so they lost their life. Fifty six fans lost their lives that day. Um, former United boss and Bantam's favourite Greg Abbott actually played that day. And I remember there's an interesting article if you look on the News and Star site if you, you can search for it. Um, he talks about his experience that day, and it's quite a moving article when you read yeah. it and the experience they went through. And, I think anyone who's done a bit of fire safety training at any sort of job has probably seen the video of the fire and how quickly it takes mm-hmm. control. It is absolutely astonishing. It's one of the most heartbreaking things you can possibly see. Within minutes, the whole stand's on fire, isn't it? It's mm. pretty harrowing, pretty harrowing. Um, they finally made it back into the top flight in 1999 after a 77-year absence. They managed two seasons in the Premier League before being relegated back to Division 1 and... What followed after that was quite a few years of financial hardship, and partly brought on by the ill-fated ITV digital era of the Football League. And we all remember that, wasn't it? And yeah. what an absolute mess that was. What I remember about that, funny enough, is that um, I appeared on ITV Sport uh, in a Cal United fans team on a 
quiz, short-lived quiz show called Do I Not Know That? Hosted by Simon O'Brien of Brookside fame. <laughs> Simon, Simon O'Brien actually works in my workplace now. He's the, uh, the cycling commissioner for the Liverpool City region. I keep meaning to go up and ask him, say, do you remember that show you did on ITV Sport? <laughs> You'd probably say, yeah, I didn't get paid for it because I didn't know what ITV We're, Sport were like back then. But We need to find video footage of this. I've, I've never seen it. I've yeah. never seen. I've never seen it because, quite ridiculously, I went down to a pier and with uh, four other Carlisle fans, including my mate Simon, who listens to this. He'll remember this. We got put up in a hotel one night. Um, I think it was the Fissel Hotel in the middle of Manchester, a very posh one. We were only fifteen. I think it would have been two thousand, two thousand one, around about then, maybe two thousand two. Anyway, we went down around about then. Put up in this hotel. Filmed over, I think, three or four episodes over two days. You're up against fans of other teams and there's buzzer rounds and then there's like individual rounds where someone goes up or whatever. Um, amazingly, you can't, you couldn't get ITV Digital in West Cumbria. <laughs> <laughs> so I've never seen it. I've never seen a recording of it. I did a, um, a, a, basically there's a specialist round where one person from the team goes up and does a specialist subject on something to do with the club. I think I did Car United the previous season basically. I mean, it would have been 2000, 2001 and stats to do with that. And I only got two questions wrong. I was really annoyed because I, one of them, I knew the answer and I panicked and said, I think it was something like who's made the most appearances for United that season. And I think I said Mark Birch and I think it was Stuart Whitehead. So I was yeah. fur- absolutely furious with myself. <laughs> but anyway, going off a bit of tangent there really, but uh, if anyone out there by some miracle did record that and still has that recording, please let me know because I would genuinely love to see it and see how it actually went because it, it was a, uh, it was a funny old uh, experience that one. I've got I've got some stories about uh, walking around the Granada Studios and uh, what we saw, but I'll I'll leave that for another podcast. Maybe <laughs> um, I'll tell you that one after the episode, Mike. Just so just for you. Okay. Um, yeah. So in 2013, they became the first club from the fourth tier since Rochdale 1962 to make it to the League Cup final. They're actually the first team who did it in the area where it was held at Wembley. Because I think in the very early days, I think it might have been Old Trafford or Villa Park or something like that it was held at. It wasn't mm-hmm. taken quite as seriously. Um, but it didn't go particularly well for them. They lost 5-0 to Premier League side Swansea City in the final. Um, they did beat some big teams on the way there. I think they beat Arsenal 3-2 they? They on penalties, I think. They beat Chelsea, I think, as, I th- as well, didn't they? I think that might have been the FA Cup a few years later, possibly. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah, yeah, but they definitely right. they definitely built Arsenal. I think they beat Aston mm. Villa as well, actually, on the way there, too. Mm. So it's not like, you know, they, they, they played a load of dross on the way to the final. They played no, some no. really good teams. And I think that actually helped get them back on a good mm. financial footing because they struggled for a few years, I think, around about that point. So, so yeah. Um Okay, then let's get on to celebrity fans then, Mike. Um, (laughs) So, following on from Louis Tomlinson for Doncaster the other week, Bradford have another One Direction member supporting them, Zayn Malik. Uh, Other celeb fans include Emmerdale actor Duncan Preston, singer Gareth Gates, film producer Steve Abbott, famous for Brastoff and A Fish Called Wonder. And this is the best lot. I think this might be one of my favourites this season, even probably more favourite than Uh, Half Man, Half Biscuit for Tomlinson. I think we should stop doing the feature after this because we're never going to top this next one, are we? The Dalai Lama. <laughs> is, uh, is it His Holiness? Is that what you used to describe him? I presume it is. I haven't anyway, a clue. The Dalai Lama himself is a, a, a Bradford City fan. I, I think it's probably stretching it to say he's a Bradford City fan. I think someone basically got him to wish them good luck before that League Cup final against Swansea, funny enough. There's a picture of him posing with the shirt. We'll put it up in the tweet when we put the episode out. Um... Uh, didn't do them much good though. <laughs> they lost five 0 in the final, yeah. so so that so clearly the how close he is to the uh, whoever the man upstairs is for the Dalai Lama. I don't know. I, I I'm not going to try and pretend I know anything about 
all that. I'd probably offend someone if I did say something wrong. So let, let's move on very, very <laughs> quickly from that and on to the head-to-head. Not particularly great in our favour, this one. So uh, we've played them, I think. Let me just work this out on my head quickly. I think it's 58 times. We've won 17. 14 have been draws and 21 games we've lost. Our record at Valley Parade is pretty dreadful as well, actually, when you look back. Last time we won there was in, let me get this up. I think it was 1974 in the League Cup. Um, we beat them 1-0. Now, we would have been a top flight side then and they would have been either yeah. a third division or a fourth division. I'm not sure which one. Um, but yeah, fair to say our record there is pretty dire, to say the least. Yeah. Um, I don't think their record's much better at Brunton Park, to be fair. But in the in the last, since we uh, first played them again recently in 2006, um, we've played them eight times and we've won four times. Drawn two and yeah. lost two. So, record in recent times isn't quite as bad last time we met them was on boxing day last season we played uh quite an entertaining mildew draw actually it wasn't a bad game this one decent crowd i think about eight thousand there maybe um mm. but the thing that stands out from this game that this was jared branford's last performance for the club that's last appearance and you put in a man of, man of the match performance and he was outstanding i mean he mm. was still what only just 17 at this point Mm. And you could just see he was he was too good for that level, and yeah. I think he picked up a knock <laughs> for any of that, and uh, then didn't play for us again after that. So, mm. so there you go. It's a shame his knock wasn't a little bit more severe, and then he couldn't pass a medical at Everton. But you know, never <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be honest, that money worked out pretty well in the end for us, didn't it? For this season, yeah, so it did, probably it did. Sh- shouldn't grumble too much about it. Yeah. There you go. Uh, okay, well let's let's talk about the uh, up to date things to do with Bradford City. So, like I said, I don't think. Any of us could have predicted how badly they would have started this season, really, could we? Um, as it stands, they're currently 22nd place in League Two, 17 places and 13 points behind United on 13 points. Uh, their records are half as many points as us, which is un- unbelievable, really. Mm. Their record so far is played 14, won three, drawn four, and lost seven. They have 14 goals for and 19 goals against them. I mean, they don't even average a goal a game. <laughs> mm. <laughs> or then, sorry, they, they average exactly a goal a game, which is, you know. Not particularly great. The goal mm. difference is minus five. Um, currently in the form table for the last six games, the 21st, um, with one win, one draw and four defeats. In midweek, they went down to a 2-1 home defeat to Cheltenham, even though they took the lead after 23 minutes in this game. Um, their last win came against fellow struggler South End. And this is interesting when I was looking through who they'd actually won their games against. They've won game against South End, who were 24th, Stevenage, who were 23rd, and Mansfield, who were 19th. <sighs> Yeah, they just—they're only doing it against some of the poorer teams, which is probably good for them because it keeps them away from trouble. But I mean, Mansfield are surging up the table a bit at the moment, aren't they? Under Nigel mm. Clough, they've had a little bit of a run of form because they were right down at the bottom, weren't they? Mm. Um, but yeah, they're not doing particularly well. The, that win against South End came at the start of November as well, so they haven't won a game since then. I think the only game they've won since then was against Tunbridge Angels in the FA Cup first round. So yeah. Not not great going for them. Currently. No, but I have to say it would be absolutely Carlisle United to beat the team who are the bookies' favourites for the league title in midweek and then fail to beat the team that's 23rd in the table a couple of days later. I look forward to hearing your prediction, Mike, because <laughs> I've got a funny feeling I know where that's going, possibly with that prediction, that uh, little sentence. Um, so their manager, Stuart McCall, he's a legendary former player who made over 400 appearances in two spells with the club. 
it's actually his fourth spell if you include his one caretaker role in 2000. I think back when they're in the Premier League, actually. Um, uh, yeah, so it's his fourth spell as manager of the club. Um, things have not gone well for him this season, but despite that, the board have shown a bit of faith. They gave him a one-year extension to his contract last like two or three weeks ago, which means he's now signed up until the summer of 2022. Quite brave from the Bradford board to do that. They clearly have a bit of faith in him to turn things around, don't they? Mm, yeah, which you know seems balmy, but maybe he's got some uh, something on the board that we don't know about. Who knows? It's one of those ones, isn't it? They've gone back to him three times now. He, he wanted to sell some of these clubs. The lack of imagination at board level sometimes. Yeah, we as a club, we're quite good for that. Actually, we don't. Mm. I mean, there was talk McDonald was going to come back, wasn't there? A while back, a couple of yeah. times ago. But generally, we we do either promote someone from within or we try something different. Yeah, we don't usually go back so. I think Tranmere have to be the record holders with Ronnie Moore, the amount of times that he's gone back there. This is a club. I mean, if, you, if you're going beyond England, I mean, is it Fatty Terim's been manager of Galatasaray about a dozen times or something like mm. that? They just Every time, they just seem to go back to him. <laughs> Martin Allen, obviously, at um, Barnet, he seems to go back there every time, doesn't he? Mm. Gets the chance, but yeah. Um, despite not making too many signs in some of them, I mean, you said this before, mate, their squad is, does look strong and in attack especially. When you look at the options they've got there, Clayton Donaldson, Lee Novak, mm. Billy Clark, Curtis Guffrey, that's not the sort of attack that should be in a relegation battle, is it? Mm. No, really. exactly. But... Now, as you mentioned as well, we, we saw how good Elliot Watt was last season. Mm. Uh, they may be not using him right, they may be not getting the best out of him, I don't know, but mm. you wouldn't say right now that we're missing him at Carlisle, would you? Um, no, certainly not. I mean... Uh... Yeah, Callum Guy's set pieces have created a few goals for us, haven't they? I mean, yeah. yeah. Maybe direct shots we maybe miss him for that sort of thing from set pieces. Mm. He didn't, didn't actually score one for us, did he? But but there you go. Um, I, think he, I think he did. Did he not score like an overhit cross? Did yeah, it was, an, it was an overhit cross was yeah. the goal he scored for us, Elliot. Well, but I yeah. think he went close to scoring on a couple of free kicks, whereas I don't think we've looked mm. anywhere near scoring a direct for, no. free kick this season. It's crazy, really. You know, we went from having Danny Granger, who's Possibly and, the best free kick taker. And Jamie Devitt. Had. And J- Jamie Devitt at the same time. Two absolutely brilliant free kick takers. And then now, you know, where are we? Yeah, well, every time we're, we're touching off free kicks for Anderton to hit or something like that, and it just isn't mm. working, really. It's probably the only one area of the team, maybe you'd say, we could do some big improvement there. Mm. But maybe Brennan Dickinson will bring that when he's fit. That, that's the key thing, isn't it? I think once you get him fit as well, you know, that, you keep forgetting. <laughs> You're only mm. about three or four weeks away before he'll be back in the the squad hopefully so mm. yeah it's good news that um we obviously mentioned that Elliot Watt is a former player of ours but there actually is a second former player there some people might not realize this uh, Ben Richards Everton was a uh, part of our youth setup under Eric Kinder about about 10 12 years ago in fact no about 10 years ago so I think I was actually at the club then working at the club in the media team um a player had ability I think there was just questions about his attitude and whether he really wanted it and you, you know he was prepared to knuckle down and full credit to that he went away I think he went to I think it was Romulus something like that and then he went to Tra- uh, Tamworth and he's worked his way back into the league he went to Accrington didn't he and now he's at Bradford mm. and he's a settled player then I think he's one of their best players isn't he mm. so fair play to the lad uh, team news so yeah let's get on to that for United um, Callum Guy's going to miss out um, through suspension although there were some questions over whether he maybe would have been rested with you know a knock potentially but all the, the sounds of things from Beach was saying he wasn't quite as bad as we expected in the end 
No, but you know he's had a couple of little knocks this season, so I actually think being suspended might do him a bit a bit of a favour, just give him a week to rest. You know, it's not like we haven't got uh, capable replacements. You know, like, like we were discussing earlier with Divine and Furman. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those ones, isn't it? It's it's it, it's a good opportunity, strange way. But I'm sure he's a bit gutted guy because he's a former Bradford player as well, isn't he? And I think he would have liked the chance to show them what they're missing. I mean, we, we could have put a midfield out there of entirely former Bradford players, couldn't we? <laughs> Riley, Furman, yeah. and Guy. You know, yeah. we could have easily have done that. Oh, yeah. In fact, well, sorry, Riley, Furman, Guy, and Divine. We've got four yeah. midfielders who all play for Bradford at some point. So, yeah. and Patrick has well, Patrick obviously is a striker, but yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll be definitely out to prove a point in this game. Um, yeah, other than that, in terms of injuries, Rod McDonald, I think possibly next weekend it looks like he might be back for hopefully. Um, and then just Conor Malley's out a little bit longer and Brennan Dickinson and Ethan Walker probably not till start of January for those two by the looks mm. of things maybe Walker a little bit longer than Dickinson we've not, not really had a massive update on that one have we so, um, no. so yeah in terms of Bradford team news um, spotted a little bit just now um, it looks like Lee Novak's not going to be fit enough to play in the game he's been out I think for 10 weeks possibly okay. um, and they were, they were hoping it would, would be back for this game but they think it's just going to be too much of a gamble to bring him back for this one um, just quickly scanning down here to see if anything else so they had Gareth Evans came back into the side on Saturday um, they're hoping I think to have basically the same players available um, for this game as they had for the Cheltenham game so uh, it'll be interesting to see what side they put out predictions go on Mike well you know what despite what I said before you know we should be beating these, but I reckon it'll be quite a cagey game, so I'm going to go 1-0 Carlisle, and I'm going to go for Aaron Hayden with the goal. Very good. I'm going to go for 2-1. Uh, 2-1 win, I should say there. Um, I think Amari Patrick's going to score against his former club, and John Mellish. He's, good. he's got to get back on the wagon sooner or later. In fact, no, I'm not <laughs> going to say John Mellish, actually. I've changed my mind now, because I've said him for a few weeks and he's not scored now, so... Uh, oh, um... I'm going to go Aaron Hayden as well, yeah. Mm. Why not? Patrick and Hayden will get the goals in this one, I think. Um, so yeah, there's our predictions. Okay, let's get on to the X-Files then, Mike. So, a um, bit, little bit quiet for the midweek goals this week, wasn't there? So, last yeah. couple of ones has been a lot, but this week, just a few. Um, Ryan Bowman, he's on quite a run of scoring, isn't he? He seems to have, uh, be finding the mm. net every week at the moment. He scored again for Exeter. Um, Ryan Loft scored for Scunthorpe, and he was set up by Alex Gilead. For that goal, that, was it Harrogate they beat in midweek five two. Harrogate's form's really dropped off the cliff in the last few games, doesn't mm. it? They they just seem to be struggling a little bit now. They after that flying start, but I mean, that start's been quite good for them. It's given them a little bit of breathing space to sort themselves out. Whereas Bradford, yeah. have ne- uh, sorry Bradford Barrow, have never got off to that start in comparison, mm. have they? So so yeah. Um, and the only other goal was Naki Wells for Bristol City. Um, the only of a bit of former player news is this is an interesting one. This is one probably for a bit older fans here. Um, some might remember John Cook, who was a, a player play for United. I'm just going to double check that when it was here because I'm, I'm not 100 percent on it. He's before my time to say the least. Um, so John Cook, he uh, he was a, a winger we had on loan from Sunderland in the mid 80s in the 84 85 season. Uh, played six games, scored two goals. He did pretty well. During his loan spell, he actually, sorry, he came back as well permanently uh, a year later um, and played 106 games and scored 11 goals. So the club he played most of his games for was United, to be fair. Mm. Um, but after he retired, he went back to Sunderland and got a job as kit man in 1994. Now, he'd been in that role for 25 years, but then 
he was furloughed when the the league one season for Sunderland uh, was brought to an abrupt halt uh, last season. Um, rather than bring him back when football started again, um, so I think he might, he might have came back in September briefly, but then he was furloughed again and they started using their under-23 under kit manager, Steve Aziz. Um, didn't say anything about it. I'm guessing Cook's on more money than the under-23 kit manager and that's probably why. And essentially what they've done on the quiet is basically made him redundant. <laughs> mm. Not not announce anything. A fo- popular former player and, you know, someone who has been at the club for 25 years, popular with the players. And they've essentially said, oh, we don't need you anymore. And I think it sounds like he's potentially going to take some legal action against the club from what he's saying. And he's been under 17 different managers in that time. That That's astonishing, that, isn't it? That's crazy. Um, the interesting bit that, that, that makes it look a little, a little even worse for Sunderland is that his dad passed away in March in the run-up to Sunderland's home game against Gilligan. But he insisted on working that game against Gilligan. And when Kyle Lafferty scored in that game, Lafferty and the rest of the squad demonstrated how much they like Cook. And they all ran over and celebrated with Cook after he scored mm. the first of his two goals in that game. He actually then missed the next game against Bristol Rose a few days later because he had family matters to attend to. As you'd imagine you would, you know, when your dad's mm. just passed away. And then that trip to the southwest was actually the last game they played before the league one season was brought to a halt so essentially not i don't think he's been back since so it's a pretty shoddy way to treat someone isn't it and it, it just yeah. brings into into good light the work that united have done isn't it during all of this and not made anyone redundant and made sure people have been getting their wage and stuff like yeah, that definitely. through the furlough system and pr- pr- not particularly great stuff from Sunderland, but having watched that sun until i died documentary it does it really surprise you that much? Maybe not. Mm. <laughs> Maybe not. There you go. Um, I think that's it for this week, isn't it, Mike? I don't know, is there mm. anything else you wanted to add? I'm not really sure. No, I think we've covered all bases, haven't we? Yeah, so uh, big game this weekend. Chance to keep pressure on and potentially move into the top three. Have we been in the top three this season? I don't think we have, have we? Or maybe briefly we have. I think briefly, but then a team with a later kickoff is... Uh, Possibly, yeah, that would yeah. make sense, yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, um, we mentioned the last episode in terms of specials. Me and Dan are hopefully going to get to record the kits one next week. And I think the aim is over Christmas, we're going to try and get a couple of them out, you know, to tie things over because we've got those games coming thick and fast over Christmas. So what we might do is before the Boxing Day game, we'll probably do a preview for both that and for the Harrogate game. Try and fit the two in because otherwise it's just going to be too tight to try and turn around two. Mm-hmm in the space of a few days what we might do we might try and get both Dan and Mike on one episode and we can all have a chat together about how the season's gone so far maybe it might be a good yeah. way to do things but uh, there you go um, so yeah if you've got any comments or feedback as usual you know please contact us there's very various methods you can do it so we're on Twitter at Brunton Bugle and email Brunton Bugle at gmail.com and we're, all three of us are on the um, Be Just and Fear Not Facebook group and we're always chatting on there we always like the comments we get from people about the podcast it's been really really great to get all the good feedback from you all there um if you listen to us you probably have done this already but if you haven't please do subscribe to the podcast um that means every time we release a podcast it'll go straight into your app whatever you use so you can use either acast spotify apple podcast google podcast any podcast app generally we're probably going to be on there if we're not please do contact us and we'll try and get it sorted so it can appear on there because there's, there's ways of doing that. Um, if you just search for Brunton Bugle and then click subscribe and it'll come in every time we release one. Um, as well as that, uh, if you can give us a, re- a review on any of those podcast apps and you know five-star reviews are always really, really welcome. That'd be really, really appreciated. Um, 
Come on then, Mike, let's have a quick look and see if there's any new places on the map. He always leaves this last minute just in case. <laughs> just in case we've got an extra listener in there. Um, looking at it, it doesn't look like we've got a new country. Oh. Just that one listening in Bahrain where you nearly killed someone at the F1. <laughs> um, no, no, no new ones in there. I have been contacted by our Luxembourg listener and it is actually someone I know. So it's, it's just just nice to see uh, people are listening to us uh, all over the world. Um We'll be back towards the end of next week. No midweek game. It's nice to have a little break, isn't it, <laughs> for once? Because we've been yeah, yeah. getting all these in. But uh, we'll be back um, at the end of next week, won't we, Mike? Um, it'll be either you or uh, Dan joining me. And we'll be looking ahead to a uh, home game against uh, Stevenage. I think it's the next one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Next weekend. So that, that's, again, we've got two games coming up here. Potential chance to get six points. Am I getting ahead of myself here? I don't know. Well, on paper, absolutely. But Carlisle United do not play football on paper, do they? Never do, never do. Cheers, Mike. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Up the blues. Cheers.